No my Heidi my and welcome to the Seed Pod, a podcast where we explore the wonders of nature and our connections to the earth. Each episode, we invite guests to share their stories of nature connection and to nerd out with us about everything from whales and Antarctica to biodynamic compost. I'm your host and fellow nature enthusiast Sean Crowley, and I'm excited to dive deep into the natural world with all of you. So sit back, relax, and let's get lost in the beauty of nature. Kia ora koto, welcome back to the Seed Pod. This is episode 13 and I'm here with Nate. Welcome Nate. Kia ora koto, uh, my name is Nate Wilborn. I'm a 15 year old uh, conservationist, activist and photographer from Te Ihu, which is the top of the South Island. So kind of the work that I do is, I think of it in three parts. So that's like being a conservationist, an activist, and a photographer. So, you know, conservation, that's more like being on the ground, working with our native species, protecting wild places. Uh, advocacy is, you know, more like fighting for a cause over social media um, and just, you know, really pushing for like kaupapa that represents um, te taiao. And the third part as being a photographer is more about, you know, capturing uh, native taonga species in places so that everybody can see you know, the beauty of our incredible backyard. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, I would love to hear a story from your Nature Connection journey. Um, I planted my very first tree ever with my local, well, at my primary school. Uh, it was next to my local Awa, which kind of ran through our little township. It was on a school trip. We biked down to the local river. And I guess something just inside of me clicked, really. You know, I just discovered this incredible place. And, you know, since then, I started to spend more time um, being in nature as I became more curious. And because of this, over the years, I realized that, you know, my emotional connection to the natural world makes up the core of my being, which really does explain my eagerness um, and passion for protecting and restoring our natural world. You know, as I hear the sound of, you know, the almighty fur seal roaring from the base of the clifftop, waves ferociously crashing, all whilst a plague of seabirds swarm the sky, you know, my soul just exhales. And it's an, it's an incredible feeling, really. My spirit and the spirit of Papa Tuanuku intertwine as they become one. Because to me, birds give me more than scenery. Trees give me more than oxygen. Our aquatic ecosystems give me more than water. They give me a purpose. That's why it's daunting to see the exponential destruction of New Zealand's natural landscapes, particularly from a kaitiaki and a young person's point of view. Because, you know, this is a town, a place, and we're meant to be protecting it. The way in which you speak about the environment is so beautiful, and you have a really good way of bringing people along through your storytelling. And one of those ways that you speak up for the environment is through social media. So I would love to hear about your use of social media for advocacy, what that looks like, and maybe some of your creative process, how nature plays a part in that. I mainly use, you know, my so uh, my personal social media pages to promote um, and advocate for other people's work, also sharing my own. So what this includes really is, I guess, posting about certain speakers I take photos of and, you know, doing a bit of like education about them. Um, I can post about, you know, cool projects that I'm really excited to be taking part in and working on. 
uh, all while, you know, sharing other people's posts and all of, you know, their kaupapa from across Aotearoa who are doing some really exciting things, you know, in our natural environment. A kind of another space in the social media area that I work on is TikTok. So I manage Forest and Bird Youth's TikTok page. Uh, they are Aotearoa's largest group of passionate rangatahi who care about nature, climate change, you know, protecting our future. So what I do for them is I mainly create TikToks based off, you know, current trends um, and kind of throw in a bit of like a nature and climate change twist in it that are related to like the issues and things that are affecting us today. What I found is the easiest way to do it is to create memes. You know, they're fun, they're easy, everybody loves them. They get lots of attention and the more funny, the more cringy and the more corny they are, the better. <laughs> so really how it works um, is that, you know, I'll... Because obviously, you know, being in the conservation and advocacy space, um, I've kind of already, you know, indulged in a lot of these topics. But it's more about researching on particular, you know, like topics and things that are happening currently that are like more specific and detailed. Um, so, for instance, like, you know, coal mines in New Zealand. So, you know, I'd research information details about it. So with the coal mine example, you know, I'd research um, where the mines are being proposed why they are bad, who's behind it, and who can create the create the change um, to, you know, stop it. And then it becomes just, you know, a matter of using a basic app, just CapCut to create these memes. And then, you know, we post them on TikTok and the Instagram page and people view them and think they're quite cool. <laughs> Amazing. And, yeah, I love the stuff that you're posting. I think it's really engaging. I love that it's really current. And also we're framing that in a really positive and fun way that's engaging a whole bunch of people that might not be interested in conservation otherwise. So thank you so much for all of the work and the mahi that you do, because it is really, really helpful um, to have lots of different means in which we're advocating for the same thing. Do you have any tips for others wanting to get involved in advocating for nature through social media? My first bit of advice is to define your niche. So that's like what you're passionate about. So examples of what this could be, you know, plastic pollution, sustainable agriculture, predator eradication, uh, our native species in New Zealand, you know, so forth. So yeah, the easiest way to kind of gain a following is for you to like really define what you want to advocate for and what you're passionate about so that others who have similar interests and values, you know, can actually notice your content and, you know, follow along. So for me, if I was to kind of define my niche into like one kind of key thing, I guess it would kind of be mainly just conservation in New Zealand as a whole. So that's looking at, you know, uh, pest eradication. It's looking at our native Taoma species, what we can do to help them, protect them, and kind of just how all of these parts of our environment just, you know, intertwine together. So, yeah, kind of, you know, when one part's healthy, the other part's also healthy. Uh, and then my second piece of advice is to not just focus on yourself. So what I mean by that is to reshare and celebrate the success of other people and organizations' work. So instead of just, you know, posting what you do, you know, you can reshare things to your stories. You can chat to other people and, you know, celebrate their work. And because, you know, in the end of the day, we're all fighting for the same cause. Um, and that's also a really awesome way to create connections to other passionate people and organizations. And it's also how you can get noticed in the long term 
Um, and, you know, as a young person as well, I think it's particularly crucial as that can really help, you know, set up my career and future pathways, you know, if I can develop these connections at a young age. Now, you're a big advocate for nature connection. In fact, you did a TED talk on that recently, and in particular, connecting young people to the environment. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So it was November last year, 2020. I was still 14 years old at the time. And I gave a TEDx talk on the power of connecting young people to nature. So kind of what my TED talk, my TEDx talk was about is like why it's so crucial that rangatahi and tamariki, you know, the next generation young people um, really get engaged in the outdoors. So like my three kind of, I guess, three points or topics in that is looking at how we can educate, encourage and provide opportunities for young people to be in nature because these are like the best and most efficient ways for us to develop this connection. So what I was looking at and talking about is how each opportunity provides different benefits to being in the outdoors and kind of they got also like a common theme and a common benefit um, that they, you know, all shape. So they're all crucial in shaping both environmental behaviours and values in adulthood. So what that kind of means is that as long as we can get young people involved in nature at a young age, then we can, you know, if that continues to build up that momentum, by the time they hit adulthood, you know, being in the outdoors is already a big part of their childhood. And that way they're already, you know, they've already got this connection and it's way easier to sustain this connection than it is to, you know, start one um, as adults. If Tamariki and Rangatahi can grow up being in Te Taiao, then they can learn about the true wonders and the powers, I guess, that nature and our environment has. And there's so many research papers from, you know, universities um, and institutions across the world that have studied the benefits of being in nature. And yeah, I think it's just particularly crucial, you know, the science is here um, and the message has never been clearer that kids do need nature. And it's a topic that I'm super passionate about. Um, and I really enjoy, you know, being in the space of inspiring other people to get out into the outdoors and really actually experience what it's like to be in this incredible place that we're lucky to call our backyard. For sure. I totally agree with that. You know, that can be leaves. It can be planting a tree like you did. It can be experiencing the sounds of the ocean for the first time. It can be seeing a new bird or it could be bug hunting. Like there's so many different ways that we can engage young people in the environment. And there's so many things that they can learn as they're out in the environment, not only for their uh, learning like school subjects, but also for their well-being and learning that everything in nature on our planet is connected. And so no matter what they choose to do in their life, they're likely to have that passion at the core of who they are. Maybe it's a part of their identity and that's going to help create these change makers who already care about the environment because they have experienced it and they have great memories of that and they want to be able to keep that for all generations to come as well. As a young leader, you've been involved in lots of different programs and you talked about planting your first tree and the impact that that had. Have there been any other maybe programs you've been part of or experiences that have had a huge impact on who you are now? I guess there's a couple 
projects that I've kind of been really lucky to be a part of, not just on like a national level, but also on a regional level. So that's kind of working um, with my local community. So end of last year, um, I went into my old primary school and I hosted some workshops on pest eradication. So a group of these kids got to build, you know, some local rat traps. I taught them about, you know, their local environment. So a local reserve that we were putting these traps out in. So, you know, like the what the bird species are, the tree species, a bit of history, um, why it's crucial that we are protecting the reserve. So the kids kind of, you know, really got to learn and connect um, to like the local whenua, which I thought was really cool. And then on a national level, I suppose, I think the Forest and Bird Youth Network is pretty cool. Being able to work alongside not only New Zealand's leading young environmentalists, but also adult environmentalists, you know, their policy advisors, all of that, who are people who have got so many years of experience in this space. And I think it's really cool that, you know, you can see kind of almost like future career pathways and see how people, you know, got to these places. So you can always, you know, chat to them about, you know, what they studied, where they volunteered, um, what connections they had and all of that. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, I love all of the work that I do and I can't really just pinpoint one thing that's really helped to shape me. But I guess, yeah, just everything I do, I'm really proud of. Yeah, that's amazing. And you should be proud of that. And it is that ongoing kind of snowball effect, right? As you say, like the connections that you make along the way, the experiences that you have, the programs that you go on to, they all lead into the next thing and the doors open as you go through. And I think that's what's so amazing as a young person growing up with that passion for the environment and knowing that's something that you value and then seeing those programs and if you're lucky enough getting those opportunities to be part of but also to lead those things for other young people or rangatahi and I think having young people like you as a leader is really important because then peers can see what you're doing and get passionate about that as well. And you're able to bring them along on your journey, whether that is through on the ground events or whether that's through social media, you are building, as well as all of the other young leaders across the country, you're building this network of people who care about the environment. And then there's more people on the ground doing the things that matter and making change so that we are combating those big challenges we're seeing today. I was wondering if you'd like to talk about some of the challenges that you've faced as a young leader. Yeah, I've got heaps. <laughs> so kind of a bit of a backtrack. After I planted my first tree at eight, you know, I kind of, you know, was very curious about the outdoors. I wanted to do, you know, my part, learned about things like plastic pollution. And then I think I was maybe 11 or 12 years old. And in class, we were learning about like mustelids and rats introduced pests to New Zealand. So I was, you know, like, oh, this is so cool. I'm, you know, I want to get involved. So that day I emailed my local council, um, you know, saying, you know, hey guys, I'm really interested in, you know, learning about pest control. Can I come help volunteer, do a trap line, that sort of thing. Just, you know, I really just wanted to volunteer. And the answer I got like within the same day was no. And I was so disappointed. So I emailed them the next day. And, you know, I kept on emailing my life. I was so desperate to, you know, really get out there and volunteer. Yeah, that's pretty much the main challenge that I faced as a young person was age, I suppose. So kind of another thing in my TED Talk that I talked about was how age shouldn't be a barrier. So we need to be catering for, you know, young people who are actually passionate about this sort of thing because we want to open, you know, the doors for them. 
but if things like age is a barrier and you know the doors are going to stay closed and when you know their minds are still developing that is the perfect time for them to be able to experience these things so I'm quite gutted that I didn't get to you know do a bit of volunteering when I was 11 12 years old but I think just my determination resilience really kept me not focused but you know just on the same you know on the right track um and obviously I kept pushing for that connection and I kept pushing to volunteer and then I eventually kind of, you know, found some local projects at 14, 13 years old that welcomed me in. And yeah, I'm really thankful for that. That is really sad that you weren't able to be involved when you were passionate right at the beginning, because that's when you definitely want to be able to capture that passion and use that for good and use that for volunteering in this case. I think it's super cool to see that there are lots of young people, um, particularly, you know, in my hometown, Nelson, Tasman, um, who are passionate about this sort of stuff. And while the numbers may only be, you know, a few hundred that attend things like a local school strike for climate, it's still, you know, more than just me. So I think, you know, I'm always really motivated and inspired by other people who, you know, have the same passion. And working together as well is really cool, as, you know, we can always share and collaborate on our ideas. And, you know, obviously I hope that the number will continue to grow as our society changes for the benefit of nature. Um, I guess, yeah, just in my region, I've seen that there is obviously a passion and a demand for, you know, things like getting young people involved in nature. Um, I've done things, you know, organised local school strike for climates, um, the local high school envirohuis where we, you know, come together, have a corridor. And there is definitely a passion there. And, you know, I think it's just up to people such as the council and other NGOs to really step in there um, and take action. On a national level, I think, yeah, working alongside Forest and Bird Youth, where there are people from across the country who are, you know, passionate at the same mindset as you is really motivating. As, you know, you realise that it's not just you and people that are in your local area. This passion is across the country. And I'm always inspired and motivated to, you know, continue on my work um, whenever I kind of step into that space. Definitely. And being surrounded by people that inspire you, have the same passions and they're like-minded, as well as being able to open and broaden your perspectives as well and learn skills from other people is really amazing. It's coming from a small town, it can be quite closed off and sometimes it can feel really hard to get that activism going because you're seeing these school strikes for climate in the big cities going oh my gosh there's thousands of people that are turning up why don't we have that many but in terms of the size of the place that you're working with getting a hundred people is really amazing yeah totally Now you've talked about your involvement in conservation. Is there an area in particular that you're really interested in? Yeah, birds. <laughs> so in the conservation space, um, I'm a bit of a bird nerd really, and a huge passion of mine is, you know, our native Manu. So there's actually a little bit of a project that's very close to my heart, and it's working with our seabirds particularly. So it's a very special place. Um, it's called Onatahua. That's Farewell Spit and Farariki, uh, the northernmost point of the South Island. 
there's an existing conservation project that's taking place there and I work very closely with that team which I really enjoy being a part of so as well as doing things like trapping pests planting trees we also um, work by managing a three hectare pestry sanctuary on top of a clifftop uh, and we are translocating really rare seabed species so so far we've already translocated over 100 pakaha or fluttering shear water we're looking at translocating I think 20 um, flesh-footed shearwater, hopefully April, May next year. And then other species that already like exist in the local area, which we are protecting by monitoring and trapping pests. Um, you've got things like the bittern, the Australasian bittern. We've got several crake species in the wetlands. We've got remnant um, sooty shearwater colonies, which exist on some of the cliff tops. And since the place is like overrun with pests such as you know wild pigs, mustelids, possums, rats, it's really crucial that we are protecting these species. So I really do enjoy you know spending six to eight hours backpacking in the middle of the woods, checking pests while also you know counting species, um, and doing all of that scientific you know data research. We can figure out population trends really. Uh, and so I kind of as well as that. I do a bit of work with the Department of Conservation in the bird banding scheme. So I'm a level one bird bander. So what that means is that I'm qualified to band any bird inside New Zealand, but there's like restrictions, obviously. So I've got to be with someone that's even more qualified and they've kind of got to watch me when I do it. So there's heaps of things that kind of apply, heaps of regulations and all. But so far, I've been lucky to go out with a local team here in Whakatū Nelson to band um oyster catches so we've got sipos and voxes that's south island pet oyster catches and very well oyster catches so i think it was in january this year i actually banded my very first bird ever and it was a south island pied oyster catcher and i'm hoping that like in the coming months i'm going to be able to go out with the team again and ban some other species so fern birds hopefully is kind of on my to-do list um and also Godwits would be quite cool to band. So I'm really passionate, yeah, about kind of all of the scientific research behind our bird species. And through bird banding, we can um, look at like population growth and the makeup of our species, I suppose. So we can look at how their aging works, their molting, all of that stuff, because the birds are usually re-caught and that, you know, that's taken on the colour of their bill, feet, um, feathers. And... Yeah, just working in a really cool team of other people who are generally older than me, but they are passionate about working with our birds, and it's really cool to, you know, hear all of their um, kaupapa and you know, all of the learnings that I can learn from them. Amazing work to be part of. I would love to get involved in some bird banding. So just for those who may not know what bird banding is, it's when you capture a bird in a safe way for that bird and you put certain coloured bands or numbered bands on their feet or their ankle typically, but it can be different per species. And that's a way that we can identify the individuals within the population of that species that we're working with and then track that over time when they recapture them. Um, and sometimes, depending on the species and the work, sometimes transmitters or trackers are put on those birds as well so that we're able to, as you say, understand a little bit more about the way in which they behave, the way in which maybe they migrate, where they feed, where they breed, all of that stuff that's really important for us to understand 
so that we can protect those areas that they're visiting, that they're breeding in, that they're feeding in, but also understand how they connect with other species as well. What is the first thing that pops into your mind when you think of the word nature? Um, To me, I think like the ideal vision of the you know, natural world pops up. So what that looks like in my head, um, I suppose is an environment where us humans are connected to Papa Tuanuku um, in so many different forms. You know, whether that be our urban landscapes, whether it produce food, the way that, you know, our education systems are set up, I suppose. Um, so nature, obviously, it's a fundamental part of a society. You know, it's the backbone of society. Um, but just, you know, more inclusion, I suppose, as well. And I guess a part of that as well is looking at how, well, our native species would be thriving without disturbance from pests and humans. And our communities are built around the natural world. Amazing. Now, I'm going to throw in a hard one here. If you were to come up with a slogan that would excite people about what you just said, this vision that we're aiming for, this connection with nature, what would that be? Something like nature needs you because, well, nature does need us and we need nature and it just works hand in hand, you know, when nature thrives, we thrive. And when we thrive, nature thrives. Actually, no, that's the slogan. When we thrive, nature thrives. And when nature thrives, we thrive. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And that's totally right. When we are in a thriving, sustainable community, we are in a healthy environment. We are looking after that environment. We're looking after each other we're connecting all of the good stuff, right? Thank you so much for joining me today, Nate. Also, thank you so much for all of the work that you do in the advocacy space and empowering other rangatahi or young people to get involved because it's so important to have young leaders like you. Now, if you wish to join our amazing community of listeners, head over to our social media platforms. This is a place where we are able to share sound bites from each episode with our wonderful guests and also share in our own Nature Connection stories. So if you want to, the best way to access this is link in our bio or you can head to Linktree. So that's linktr.ee slash theseedpod underscore nz. Thanks so much.